do we have any questions? This is an important subject. You know, we baptize people, we encourage them to read their Bibles, but sometimes we fail. Jesus' disciples came and said, teach us to pray. That's doesn't come naturally. So hope you all, those of you that are young men preaching, will catch on to this. George Batty has a question. I have a question. We we sing out of the old red songbooks where I'm at, and we have this song, My Faith Looks Up to Thee, Thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior Divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be holy thine. You made the statement that we can't pray to Jesus. And here we sing this song all the time. And we're saying in the song, now hear me while I pray. Would it be wrong to stop singing that and for one brother to just say that? without singing it. I think with songs, there's a little bit of poetic license that we allow. In reality, to offer a prayer to Christ, I believe would be unscriptural. And so to pray to Christ and this Lamb of Calvary who is Christ would be an unscriptural prayer. And now we do pray through Christ, thus He hears our prayer. And so there is a right way we can sing those songs by maybe mentally adhering to the thought that Jesus hears our prayer and takes it to God the Father and then we get an answer. So He will hear it. But to pray to God without regard to God, pray to Christ without regard to God as the ultimate one who our prayer is focused on would be an unscriptural prayer. Well, can I pray... To God the Father with the intentions of don't let Jesus hear this. I don't mean Jesus to be included in this prayer, Father. I'm just talking to you. Mm -hmm. The answer would be no. That's right. I think I think that to exclude Jesus or the Holy Spirit from prayer is the wrong idea. Mm -hmm. I think that we can pray directly to Jesus. I think we have Bible examples of that that are not discourse. I've heard it said that if you're in discourse with Jesus, you can speak back to Him directly. Mm -hmm. But in Acts chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, the 11 apostles prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. They're praying to Jesus, the one who chose the 12 apostles to begin with. They're praying to him to pick the replacement. In Acts chapter 7, verse 59, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not lay this, uh, do not charge them with this sin." That's directed to Jesus, and there was no discourse going on. He was not speaking; uh, the Lord was not speaking to Stephen there. 
In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8, the apostle was talking about his thorn in the flesh and he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times that this might depart from me. And evidently somewhere along the line after he had prayed three times to the Lord, um, then uh, the Lord told him His grace was sufficient for him. In John 14, verse 14, the New American Standard Version says, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, the, the New King James says, If you ask anything in my name. But the New American Standard says, If you ask me anything, I will do it. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, O Lord, come. I think the old King James may have the word Maranatha there. I'm not sure about that. And um, then in Revelation chapter 5, in verse 8 and 9, the elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And it looks to me like in this passage that the elders are taking the prayers of the saints and presenting them to the Lord Jesus. And so I, I think it's a mistake to say we cannot pray directly to the Lord Jesus. I think we need to adjust our thinking on that. And just because we have a passage, for example, the model prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, that doesn't prevent other passages from teaching us that we can also pray to the Lord Jesus. That's my opinion. No, I appreciate it. Those are good verses. I think you're especially right with regard to the fact that prayer must include kind of the three divine God, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three of those go in and are a part of our prayer. And there's an important aspect of that. I appreciate those verses. Glenn Osborne, when you're talking about instructing someone in prayer, especially even young evangelists, you know, they go and visit somebody, you know, what's an appropriate thing to teach? And, and sometimes people who you want, you know, go to their homes, they want to pray, and, and you pray with them, you know, in a lot of situations. You know, it's, it's sometimes difficult. But in James 5... Ben, would you hold your mic up? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, James, in James 5, and I don't mean to be controversial here, but in James 5, he says, if there's any suffering, he must pray. If anyone's cheerful, he's to sing praises. Anyone among you sick, he must call for the elders of the church and they are praying, uh, anoint. Uh, pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. I know this is a controversial passage. Is it talking about you know the age of spiritual gifts? Because he, it promises a restoration of whoever we're praying for. And I just wondered if you had any comments on that. And secondarily, um, you know, whenever you talk to young evangelists and you tell them to go and to pray for somebody who's sick, you know, and you pray, I will be done. You know, you, you tell somebody, I'm going to pray for the Lord for you. I'm not sure you're going to make it, so I'm going to say, you know, Lord's will be done. You know, and it's sometimes somebody says, well, you're, you're not praying in faith. If you pray believing, which was one of your points, you know, mm -hmm. pray believing the Lord's going What do you do when somebody absolutely is terminally ill and you go pray for them? And 
I think I think we have to teach people how to be proper when they pray to somebody. That, you know, you're not praying that they would s s be continue on in life. Mm -hmm. You pray that they may be pain free. You pray that they may be a lot of different things. But I was just wondering if you had any. Is there is there other principles? Are there other passages? I think being compassionate tells us not to pray for that which we should not pray for, and that is a continued life for somebody who is obviously terminal. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we leave it in the hands of God. But I just wanted to, your thoughts on James five. Is is it? I think it's metaphorical. I, I think he's, but and not just talking about the age of spiritual gifts. But uh, I think that the sickness here is sensing. I think with James chapter 5, I think that's what I've tended to lean towards the past couple of years as I've studied it more. That he's not speaking of physical sickness, whether it be the flu or COVID or whatever it may be. He's speaking of a sickness of sin, which is what prayer heals. Uh, the prayer of the righteous heals the sickness of sin and the disease and the problem of sin, according to 1 John 1 verse 9. Uh, also, if it is a prayer for the physically sick, which wouldn't be wrong or sinful in any way. The idea that the prayer of the righteous will, will save him or raise him up. Um, if any, anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick. It doesn't necessarily refer to the fact that it's going to heal them, but it might save them from the pain and difficulties that their sickness is uh, drawing upon them if it is looking at a physical sickness. And so we do have to be very cautious and mindful of how we pray with those who are sick and those who are facing, whether terminal illness or whatever it may be. You know, with the person you're praying with, you don't pray. I'd be hard-pressed to find a right prayer that says, as you're praying with them, be with this person as they go to the grave. And that's not something to use in your prayer. But there is prayer for comfort, there's prayer for peace, and there's prayer for support and strength and those are things that need to we need to learn to better do within our prayers for those who are physically sick but I would agree I think James chapter 5 is speaking about sin and dealing with that through prayer do we have any other questions or comments Matthew Shaver <clears throat> just some thoughts bouncing right after what Glenn asked a moment ago what role not so what rule, but how specific do you think prayer should be? So, so to give some context here, this this model prayer that Jesus gives is very, very broad in its scope. So he, he just speaks about the the, the the progress of the kingdom in general, for example. And he doesn't talk about specific things. But there's the possibility, like Glenn brought out, that when someone prays for something very specific, in, in the sense of the, the progress of the kingdom, you might pray for a specific government to make a specific decision mm -hmm. that would benefit the church in that, that country. Um, when, when you pray for something so specifically, you might be set up for disappointment mm -hmm. and discouragement in that sense. And how should we interact with that from a from this, this angle of learning how to pray and how to express ourselves and our specific desires to God and at the same time allow His will to be done? One of the first things that we have to understand that if we pray and use the words, your will be done, we have to be prepared for the answer of no to our petition. And that's something we have to mentally prepare ourselves going into prayer. That if I pray for this, and I truly want God's will to be done, whatever that may be, 
I have to be ready to hear the words no, and I have to be okay with that. And so one of the ways we can do that when we pray specific prayers, as I think we can and should, we need to learn and understand that sometimes what we think is the will of God or what we want to be the will of God isn't. And if it isn't, we have to learn to be okay with that and continue to be faithful regardless of what the answer to our prayer is. And so that's part of kind of the answer. And prayer should be specific. Jesus' prayer is broad. But prayer throughout Scripture can be very specific. In Luke chapter 18, you get the prayer of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Tax collector prays an eight-word prayer in the New King James Version. Pharisee prays a 23-word prayer. He's specific, the tax collector, and he goes home righteous. The other one prays a broad prayer. He prays a prayer of uh, hypocrisy of what Jesus would say in verses 8 and 9 of Matthew 6, which is just many words to make himself seem uh, holy and righteous. And so the specific nature of the uh, tax collector's prayer demonstrated the true focus of his heart. And so prayer should be focused. It doesn't mean it's always going to be short, but it should be focused and the words we use should be thoughtful. Um, and when we pray the Lord's will be done, we're not in charge of that anymore and we have to be ready for whatever answer comes just to be faithful regardless. Matthew. Uh, something just kind of touching a little bit on what you guys were just discussing. I've read different people who say uh, an application of the Lord's Prayer, they, they look at the length and the scope, the brevity and the scope, and they make an application to us when we lead public prayer and say that this is an example for us that we should keep our thoughts brief for the attention span of our audience as well as try to cover the scope. I want to see what you thought about maybe that as an application. Does that apply? Is that a valid concern? Or maybe do we sometimes let our attention spans get too short? And I, know, I know a guy that every time I see him, he asks my name, I tell him, he remembers my dad because my dad has a record for the longest prayer he's ever heard. He can say it aside. My dad kind of taught me a little bit about how to pray growing up to lead and taught me to keep my thoughts, you know, prepared and thinking about my audience. And I kind of have a contrast. Somebody came up to me one time and told me my main prayer was too short. But uh, I guess I broke his curse there. But I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that kind of idea. I think we do have to be mindful of our audience and what's going on within our audience and around us as a culture. And you know this, we live in a very short um, attention span culture. Movies are depicted now more and more with quick action scenes which move on and progress to the next scene because our attention span uh, is kind of being developed to be shorter by nature. Now, that doesn't mean a prayer can't be long or shouldn't be long. I think it's important to note that the length of prayer is never really given consideration with regard to whether it's righteous or not or deserving of to being a main prayer or not. Um, those are things that aren't important with regard to God and hearing prayer and answering prayer. Can we pray a long prayer? Yeah, Jesus prayed through the night. And Jesus prayed uh, longer prayers and difficult prayers. And those are things that we can do. Now, if we have an audience that is filled with, you know, screaming babies, it might be nice to have an understanding of our environment. But shortness and length and brevity are important with regard to are we being thoughtful for our words or are we being long for length's sake. Um, so we should be mindful of our audience and who we're praying to and praying with. But in general, length doesn't mean you can pray a main prayer or not or you can, you're assigned to the closing prayer. Uh, what matters is the words and the content and the heart of our prayer.
No. I appreciate what you said just then about being aware of the impression we're giving people about you need to pray a prayer that's long, you know, or a certain length. Now, I think when it comes to the public prayer in the assembly, as we've talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, edification and understanding uh, plays a part there about the, the prayer that's being given. But one of my favorite examples of prayer comes from Nehemiah chapter 2. This is where Nehemiah is acting as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes sees that Nehemiah is downcast uh, about what's happened to Jerusalem, the state that it's in. And then the king asks, what is your request? And in verse 4, it says, Nehemiah prayed to the God of the heavens and then answered the king. Now, I don't think that Nehemiah stopped there and had a very long and lengthy prayer to God by himself and then answered the king. The way I've always interpreted this is that prayer that he had to pray was quite short and not even verbal, I think, but it was mental between him and God, and then he responded to the king. So I've always thought that's very interesting. Maybe that would help in encouraging people to be more proactive in prayer, especially personally, if we show that um, length, you know, don't get so wrapped up in how long you pray, but think more about the frequency and the sincerity of your mm -hmm. prayers. And with that, uh, Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is a nonverbal prayer that she prays with her heart. Now, apparently it seems like her lips are moving, so she's mouthing her prayer because Samuel thinks she's drunk, but she's not verbally reciting words. So prayer does not have to be a verbal thing, it isn't. It can be a private conversation that no one else hears. So yeah, our focus is on the content in our words and on the relationship between us and God and not on length. That's a good point. Austin Maddox. Really appreciated it, brother. I thought it was an excellent presentation. Um, kind of go along the lines of my uh, two brothers here. I uh, wonder if you maybe talk a little bit about the posture of prayer. I know you discussed that a little bit earlier uh, in, your, in your presentation. And I know this is something I've gone back and forth with. You know, sometimes we'll be in an assembly, and when it's time for the main prayer, about half will be sitting and the other half will be kneeling or something of, of that particular case. And one of the points that you made was about the need for uh, reverence and uh, respect. Do you believe that there is one posture that might um, advocate that better or do you have any, have any thoughts on it? I think the posture of respect and reverence that we have to give to God in prayer begins with our heart. And so our heart has to be humbled before God. And if our heart is humbled before God, the posture of our body is a second thing that can come into play later. In the Old Testament, you see people praying face down, standing up uh, on their knees while sitting in different postures, and all of them can be considered uh, righteous prayers. Moses prays in Numbers in Exodus and Deuteronomy, kind of looking up and talking to God uh, in a way, in a manner that 
is very bold, and Moses' prayers are very bold. And I'm not saying we should imitate Moses' prayer, but Moses' prayer life was one where he often was standing, and at times we see him looking up. And so it wasn't that he was being irreverent to God. His heart was humbled before God. And I think that's the important first step, that our heart has to be humbled before God and recognize that God is hallowed. He's set apart, He's special, and He's holy. And if our heart does that, the reaction of our body is secondary and can be right kind of in whatever position we find ourselves in. Now Luke 18, the tax collector falls on his face and can't look up while the uh, Pharisee looks up to God boastfully. And so again, the attitude that is condemned is this boastful attitude of looking before God saying, look at me, rather than the humbled heart that can't even look at God. And so it, also, it always begins with the heart and then how we display that in our own lives I think can vary depending on person, whether it be kneeling, sitting, or whatever you may choose to do. Okay. Yeah, we have a brother who um, he prays quite a bit at the church. He prays almost the exact same prayer every time. And he's very sincere, very articulate. He's not. Uh, but what do you what do you think about that? Uh, I heard you say that. Sincerity is not necessarily, well, Trump's repetitiveness, so just you kind of... Well, one of the points with regard to repetition that I think helps us understand that it's not necessarily all repetition that is sinful but vain and worthless or repetition without sincerity is the fact that in the garden Jesus prays the same prayer three times. Matthew records it twice. Same prayer, almost worded the exact same way. And both of those prayers are righteous prayers and are accepted by God and answered. He sends an angel to strengthen Jesus as he goes through. And so I believe with a prayer that's prayed the same way, we might think about why am I praying it like this? Why am I always using the same words? But if our heart is right, if we're sincere about the words we're praying, then God still seems to be willing to answer those prayers as long as everything else, the approach is right. Um, and so that's something to consider. Like I said, Jesus does this. He prays the same prayer. And so we can't condemn a prayer that is repeated if it's repeated sincerely and appropriately. Brother Miller. A little bit of a change of subject, but uh, I mean, a lot of questioning maybe. That's great. Uh, how do you equate the parable of the unjust judge and the widow with pray thy will be done. Sometimes when God answers prayer, and let me work through this answer out loud. When God answers prayers, we might say that there's three answers to a prayer. There's yes, no, or maybe so. And so with regard to the unjust judge and the widow, she's banking on it being maybe and she is continually praying. Now, we may not always have the answer immediately. For instance, a brother asked a question about a governmental law change. That may not come around until the next election vote. So we don't know. We have to keep praying. We need to be uh, adamant within our prayers until we see the effect, the answer. And so she never saw the answer and was continually praying and was hoping that the answer was maybe so. Outside of that, we assume she would live a faithful life. She would go about her life doing what was right. 
And so you wouldn't just sit around waiting on that answer. But that's kind of how I would couple the two together. We pray your will be done, but that doesn't mean we don't stop praying uh, until we get an answer that we see. And that's what she does. She continues to pray until she sees the answer and she gets the answer. Okay, we're about done here. Uh, I did want to make one comment here, and uh, that is that uh, while I respect very much uh, Brother Batty's view, not all of us would agree with, with that idea. And I, I do, just in answer to some things, the meeting, Jesus Christ being our mediator, clearly nothing would be hidden that we speak to the Father about. And maybe there's some songs we need to look at, just like Calvinistic songs I don't sing, and the, the songs that now let us have a little talk with Jesus. I had great difficulty with that. And, uh, you know, I, I look at some of the passages that you referenced, and I'm not convinced. But we can have this subject matter again sometime, and, and perhaps consider this, but I. I'm sure there's several of us here that would feel uncomfortable about praying either to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's unfair. I've got the mic, but I, I didn't want you to know that. I'm, we've, I think we've had this discussion before in the past, uh, just briefly like this. But I, I appreciate you gave some very strong arguments that need to be addressed if, on my part if, if I disagree but those were some thoughts that I had as, as you were presenting that. Aaron do you have any closing comments? I'll just say I appreciate the opportunity to speak and I to study this I appreciate as you said those verses because they hadn't clicked in my mind in that way so I appreciate the opportunity to study them further um, and I appreciate your attentiveness uh, and my father's ability to stay awake even though he got on a plane at 5 a.m. and was here. And so he did all right. So I appreciate it.